Hey guys, welcome to Biomass episode 96. Uh, glad you could tune in for us this evening. Uh, have another pretty good episode lined up. We've got uh, the usual guys here, so uh, we're going to be handling a couple topics. Probably look at uh, Division, which recently released. Uh, some talk about kind of the, the direction that, that games have been going and the differences between you know PC and tablet and whatnot, uh, and probably touch on some other things. So. Without further ado, let's start with some introductions at the top of the list with Sarai Zell. I'm Sarai Zell. Um, I was used to be on the CPM. I'm a co-host here on the show and a writer on the blog. Awesome. Iowa Bait. Hey, everybody. What's up? My name is Bait. Um, you can find me in EVE Online as Roger Bait or in Dust as of recently as Iowa Bait. I'm a writer for the blog and uh, the Logi bitch of Jade Gamester. Awesome. And uh, Jason. Hey folks, I'm Jason Larison. Uh, I'm also a member of the uh, uh, worldwide media conglomerate of the Biomast uh, Media Empire, uh, such as it is. And uh, I, I am still traveling a little bit, and uh, I've got good enough interwebs to uh, to hook up and talk to you guys from kind of the other side of the world than I normally do. So uh, it's pretty cool being able to hop on and be able to uh, tag in with the guys on the show tonight for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You're always great to have around and a good uh, voice and personality to have on the show. So I'm glad you can make it. Uh, and I'm Pokey Draven from OSG Planetary Operations, uh, co-host here on the blog, and my cat's making noise in the background. And I also uh, uh, co-host for the podcast, right for the blog. So without further ado, let's get started. So uh, as many of you know, The Division came out this week on Tuesday, and I was just kind of curious, anyone here besides me pick it up? Too poor. Too poor. It's because you bought an Xbox and you should have saved your money for I did, actually games. did not buy that Xbox. Um, no, I'm pushing all my money to uh, building a PC right now. That's fair enough. Uh, but yeah, so I guess I will monologue a bit about this for a while. But uh, yeah, so Division came out and uh, I have to say that I've been taking my time with it. Been trying to not rush through it because out of fear that I would blow through the content in like two days, like I did with Destiny, and I'm still playing like five days later. So, uh, that being said, the game is actually pretty good. Um, the, the gameplay itself is surprisingly uh, enjoyable. I kind of have not been a fan of cover shooters forever, but this is actually really enjoyable. It kind of plays out well with the uh, the RPG elements and, and the different skills you can have. And, and it definitely gives, I think, a more enjoyable day-to-day -day experience than, say, Destiny would, because that's kind of an obvious comparison to make. So that being said, I haven't played too much in the PvP round. I've kind of been sticking to the PvE stuff, just leveling up. I reached level 15, which is out of a max of 30. Um, but that's, you know, again, only part of the game, because once you get to 30 and complete all the story missions, there's still higher-level difficulty stuff to do. And then, of course, the Dark Zone, which is you know, obviously kind of the end game, you know, high end content. So, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, for the most part, there's still some, some weird stuff that need to kind of work out some little quality of life, uh, changes that I think they could probably improve on, but it's nothing that I've found is too fundamentally wrong with the game that would require like, you know, massive changes. It's mostly just like, Hey, a little UI fix here or a little balance tweak there. And, and for the most part, uh, you know, it's, it's actually a pretty solid game. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to more of it to see, you know, kind of how it plays out as the game and the story progresses. But, you know, I think they've done a really good job at kind of presenting uh, the beginning of a franchise in a way that was 
much more engrossing than than Destiny was. Like you actually legitimately care about the story and the characters, and it's actually pretty interesting stuff. So, hey, uh, yeah, Pope, definitely you, worth it. Just a quick question. Um, you, you said you'd gotten, I guess, about halfway through the leveling tree. Well, I've gotten to level 15, and your skills are not based off of your level. They're based off of story missions and how you upgrade your uh, your home base. So I'm not really quite halfway through all of the skills and, and perks you can get, but, you know, I'm getting pretty close there. Does it, I mean, does it feel like it's a, it's a good uh, tempo for progression, or is it a little too, is it really grindy? That was, that was kind of the one thing that, that Destiny was... I think from a progression standpoint, they were it was okay, but it, you definitely started to get a grindy feel for it. And then when you you know like the uh, the equipment and the loot thing, I, I acknowledge is probably going to be very destiny like in that there's a lot of things that will take forever to accrue if you're kind of a collector. Does that sound about right? Well, like I said, the skills are unlocked, like the major skills are unlocked through the story missions. So basically, you it, it's not grindy because as you progress through the skills, you're just doing story missions. And the completion of the story basically gives you materials, which you then can use to upgrade, you know, whatever part of what tree you want. So, you mean, you may choose not to get, you know, all the skills right away and just kind of go for the side upgrades. But regardless, to level up your skills, you're basically just playing the game rather than just grinding through it. It's not repetitious. It's it's just, you know, progress the stories and do the do the main missions. Now, there are side missions, which are basically little offshoots that aren't really the full scope of a main mission, but they give uh, a bit more of an insight to the story. And those are kind of like a little progressive that like you, you know, go through an apartment complex and clear out enemies and go on the rooftops. And it's it's a lot shorter and less involved, but you know that, that gives you some more story. And then there's encounters, which are a little more generic. Um, and it's just like rescue hostages. You know, it's, it's really short, you know, maybe five, eight minute, you know, long mission events. And those are not repeatable from what I can tell. Um, so you're not so much grinding them over and over again. You're still moving around the map and, and doing uh, new things. And those again, offer materials, which you then use to upgrade your home base, which gives you those, you know, skills and, and upgrade trees. So it's grinding in the sense that it's, you know, you have to do the, the, the various things in the game. And some of them are similar in nature, but they aren't the exact same thing over and over again. So it's not like you're going to be, you know, doing the daily mission in Destiny for three months straight to, you know, get the one drop you want to, to you know, get the, the gear you need to get the light level. But none of that crap. It's it's definitely very story-driven on how your character progresses. Well, that's pretty cool. So, I, I mean, I know there's like, so it sounds like there's the basic, basic PvE uh, mission set elements, and then there's the PvP Dark Zone, which is, sounds like it's a little bit more free-flowing. Is one thing I kind of liked about Destiny is you could just like literally just plop down to a, a given area and kind of start wandering around and playing and, and, and doing things. Is there is there that kind of feel in the game? Well, the whole uh, both the PVE and the PVP areas are just a big open map. You know, there, there's really no um, instanced sort of thing going on. So, I mean, if you just want to go down to the city and walk around, and you'll find little packs of enemies that are just wandering around, and you can engage them, and they'll drop, you know, some items and some currency and whatnot, and you can just kind of goof around and, run and crawl around the city. That's that's perfectly fine, too. That's that's definitely available. Um, but it won't really add too much to your progression other than your character level, which is kind of independent from your skills. But regardless, if you just want to sandbox and, and run around and, and just try things out, that's certainly an option you have. Okay. No, that, that sounds pretty cool. I guess, uh, generally... 
what would if you were going to do the, the you know what's our classic scale on this what what are we what have we facilitated between like one to five and one to ten what are what, what would you score this game as on a kind of a general scale from what i've seen so far i'd probably give it around a four um it's not incredible uh, but it's it's certainly above five, mediocre sorry you're kind of cutting out what'd you say is it four out of five or four out of ten? Four out of five okay all right yeah, so it's 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 it, you know it's better than average. I think. I think it's if you like that kind of game, it may not be for everyone. I know there's a lot of controversy around, uh, particularly the PvP elements. Some people absolutely hate it. Some people love it. So I mean, it it, it kind of depends on your personal taste. But for me, I'd say it's above average, but not you know incredible. But it's it's definitely worth my time. I think it's it's been a good experience. I'm not regretting buying it like I did Destiny, for example. And bear in mind that's my my feel on it so far. I haven't completed the game and reached the end game content, which is kind of important because the the playability of the game after you complete the main campaign, I think, is is really big, particularly in games where they've kind of advertised this multi year plan for a franchise. So, you know, the the verdict's still kind of out on that, but at least from what I've seen so far in the first half of the game, I think it's really solid. Now that that sounds pretty cool. I, I I'm very interested in getting my hands on it and uh, taking a shot at it and seeing how you know, seeing how much I like it. Everything that I've heard, uh, it sounds like it would be a, um, a, a really probably more up my style in terms of uh, tactical play and, you know, things like that. So kind of, kind of interested about it. Yeah. There was one mission in particular where you have to work your way through kind of an overpass tunnel, um, up to beat this, uh, you know, uh, gang leader or whatever. And there's abandoned cars kind of littered throughout the tunnel. And it was pretty cool because on the far end of the tunnel on an elevated platform, there's snipers that are, you know, taking pot shots at you. So basically you're kind of darting and weaving through the cars and trying to flank around and take out the enemies um, in the way while avoiding the sniper fire. And it was kind of neat to to kind of watch the squad kind of uh, spread out and flank around the sides and, and you know, uh, get rid of the snipers. I mean, it was that kind of gameplay where your movement and how you plan your next move is is actually pretty important, at least for the uh, the PvE element. I know that you're a fan of the XCOM series. And it, it, I haven't played XCOM from what I've seen. It, it's similar in that sense that you kind of really have to think about your angles and, you know, where you're going to move next. And, and the movement system in Destiny is actually really neat in that if you're behind cover, you can kind of point your your uh, crosshairs like let's say you're behind a car and you want to move this other car and you know it'll actually show you if you hold down x you will take this path and leap over this barrier and slide behind this car and it'll probably take you about this long to get there so you can kind of plan ahead and you know see this is how i'm going to move to get to where i want to go if i want to use the auto movement system and you know plan it out that way so if you if you're a fan of kind of those tactical turn-based uh games this is kind of a similar feel but more of a real-time experience that's that sounds you know i hesitate to use the word innovative particularly because i haven't like got my hands on the game but uh i kind of like that that's a that seems like a good hybrid merge of, of some of those kind of games it's very intuitive too i i didn't have any trouble with um, getting a feel for the controls, you know, it was it was actually very fluid, and I picked it up very quickly, and it, it works and looks very smooth. So, in terms of accessibility, from someone who's really not played cover shooters or that kind of style of game, I I feel like I picked it up really quick. So, if you're new to the that type of game, I think that you would uh, do really well as well. Did you play Uncharted at all, Pokey? Um, a little bit, but not really. I've never actually oh, okay. owned the game; just okay. you know, played tidbits. So, I was but, about to say I was. I, I was curious to see if if you had if you found yourself playing it like you played Uncharted because I know you know the couple of the day or so that I think I had with um, 
uh, with the beta, I found myself trying to play it like Uncharted, and I kept getting killed. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I couldn't really comment on that, but uh, okay, yeah, it's it's very you you definitely can't just run around like a lunatic. You will mm-hmm. melt extremely quickly. Like enemies yep. do a lot of damage, but it's not the kind of gameplay like high-end Destiny stuff where you're cowering in a corner, glitching into a wall because the enemy's going to one-shot you in one bullet, you know? It's more about, you know, uh, flanking and position than it is about just enemies with absurd amount of HP. So I I, I think that's definitely an improvement over what we've seen for a similar type of game in the past. Uh, But yeah, so moving on, uh, we had a bit of an announcement coming from CCP. It's, you know, it's kind of a small announcement, but I'll I'll hand over to Bake since he kind of headed this one up. Um, Did you want to talk about the uh, Gunjack uh, Um, news? Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, CCP announced uh, via Twitter, the Gunjack Twitter, that, um, give me just a second to pull up the article, that basically uh, Gunjack was going to come out um, for the uh, Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive. Um, so as far as I'm aware, the that would make uh, Gunjack the only game to be at least announced for all three of the current uh, VR platforms. I'm not sure if, it, if it's going to come to uh, PlayStation VR, but I really would not be surprised if it does. Yeah, I mean, so, it, it seems ahead. like they're, uh, they're trying to make sure... I mean, this is actually something was one of my first concerns is, you know, Hey, if you're going to have a game for Oculus Rift and then a game for, you know, Gear VR and, you know, people want, who want to play all of your games are going to be stuck buying like a bunch of VR headsets, no one's going to do that. So um, mm-hmm. I was definitely really early on curious if they'd at least make this playable on the PC because so I wasn't going to buy a Samsung phone. Um, so I, I, I think it's really cool that they're, they're platform porting it. It's really simple to port, too, because there's only a couple of commands, basically. Um, and obviously, since it's designed for for a cell phone, it can obviously handle you know be handled by a PC quite easily. Right. Some of the um, uh, the I guess new features that are kind of, that are going to come with um, with this PC port um, are going to be um, some improved audio uh, and some improved textures, leaderboards, achievements, and of course um, higher resolution uh, graphics. The, what will change um, the price? Uh, I think it's like was it like five dollars on the? Um, it's ten dollars, I think. I'm, it's ten. I'm everywhere. Yeah. Oh, it's think, ten. Yeah, I think oh. it is just consistently priced whether you buy it on the on the Gear VR or for Oculus. It must have been five when they released it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so ten dollars uh, on the PC, and um, you'll be able to pick it up in the Oculus the Oculus Rift store on the twenty eighth of this month, and then on the Vive in late twenty sixteen. Hey, so now, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, this is this was a a fairly simplistic game. I mean, they're uh, like other than than I guess just getting it onto the other consoles or correction the other the other gaming platforms. I, like this is more or less a like kind of a flash game, but with a VR headset. Is that about right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's like a good old classic um, Galaga type, you know, whatever asteroid shooter, you know really really simple game mm-hmm. but you know it looks cool and it's i mean if you think about it like the experience you get wearing a gear vr playing this game is not going to be really any different than the experience playing this game with an oculus rift except you'll be at a computer in one case whereas the other you could be i guess looking like an idiot on a train or something <laughs> um i mean either way you're gonna look like an idiot if i'm gonna do it i'm probably gonna do it in my in my in my room um at my computer 
So it might as well be available for PC. Not everyone's going to have a Samsung phone. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a phone game uh, in terms of the scope of gameplay. Now, I don't know if they're going to be adding more levels, but I know that on the phone, it was actually fairly limited to a point where I was, you know, I, I kind of balked at the $10 price a bit once I got in there and actually played with uh, the number of levels they had. But, you know, I shrugged my shoulders, you know, well, it's, you know, it's the first VR game, so whatever. Um I'm looking at the kind of the, the demo reel they have here for the uh, the HTC and the, the Oculus version, and, it, and the gameplay looks pretty much identical. I mean, there's a, there's obviously some graphical upgrades, and I think I saw one uh, special upgrade for the the turret that wasn't on the phone version. But I think overall, you're going to basically get the same sort of experience. So it's going to be kind of a cheap, you know, Steam game that hey, for you know, ten bucks, you can have a a cool turret shooter for for your Oculus. It's not going to be any crazy blockbuster you know it's not going to hold up to the same sort of expectations you're going to have of a pc dedicated game but i mean considering this thing's built on unreal 4 it stands to reason that you know it was probably fairly easy to bring to pc so they you know shrug their shoulders and hey why not you know unreal 4 is very scalable so they could probably just you know tweak a few things within the code and it, it works on pc on a higher resolution so this move makes sense to me for uh for CCP, especially since, hey, there's not a whole lot of content out there right now, and if they can throw a $10 game up in the store, and you just spent six, $800 in a headset, you're not going to think twice about spending 10 bucks on a on a turret yeah. shooter. So. I, 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 was, I suspect that some level, I mean, things like this are more about how many different uh, VR things can you put out there with a CCP name on it, to a degree. Uh, and that, that's, and you know, that is absolutely not bad. And, and most people in, in between you guys and the other folks I've heard, I've actually talked to you that have played Gunjack. They, they say it's, it, it is fairly enjoyable. It's just, you know, I, as you guys mentioned, really simplistic, very, you know, n- there's not a lot to it. It is a good looking kind of phone game though. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't have any beef with that. I was just, I was just kind of curious if they were doing anything else. Uh, moving it to PC with like, hey, there's, you know, here's a whole, here's like a bunch of levels or different packs of, you know, like guns or, or you know, turret options or something like that, just because they had, you know, kind of more room or space to do it on the PC. I wouldn't be surprised if they released level packs for a couple bucks, you know, just to expand the gameplay and, and give you a bit more think, of the experience. I think if but they I think, do that, they'll do that for, for phone as well. Though. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's extremely simplistic. I mean, they really can't get too complicated with it, but uh, I, I don't expect that they'll add too much for the PC version simply because it's, it's cheap to port it as is, you know? So they, they, they're probably just going to, you know, take it for what it is and go, yep, this is our game. You know, we, we made the graphics have better textures and, and that's the end of it. I don't expect any major changes. $10 skin packs. What was that? I said $10 skin packs. Oh my, don't, don't. Just stop. You can make your turret have extra duct tape on it. It costs more than <laughs> yes. the game itself, but it has a cool, it's covered in chrome now. <laughs> exactly. But in all seriousness, I, I, I am really glad that it's coming to PC. It's a, it's a really good introduction to, you know, to VR, um, you know, especially being on the phone, um, and you know, it it will open up, uh, like I think Zell was saying to those who don't want to go buy a Samsung phone, um, but do want to get that VR experience. You know, get your gun jack and then get Valkyrie or whatever. Wouldn't be surprised also if there's a bundle. Get the two for you know what forty bucks maybe. However much Valkyrie's and then tech Valkyrie's going to be sixty. I think. Oh, is it going to be sixty? Oh, okay. I think so, it's a full game. Yeah, yeah. sixty-five, seventy dollars. You can get both games. I, I would be. I, 
like this sounds like something that you would think would be almost baked into Valkyrie, like as a mini game. You know, that, Ooh, I didn't it, even think about that. It kind of plays like a mini game, to be honest. Like it, it's with the simplicity it has. It, it kind of reminds me a bit of the uh, that mini game for World of Tanks you can play while you're downloading updates. Yeah, it's right. kind of you know, it's not quite the same game, but it's you know, it's kind of got that same feel to it, and it's you know, it's pretty simple and, and, and fun for you know. 10, 15 minutes at a time, and then you, you walk away from it and come back later. Yeah, that's kind of that's about what it sounds like. That's cool. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, it's, it is a fun game. It's just not something that you know, you're going to spend, you know, 150 hours playing. <laughs> it's just, it's not there. But uh, as far as, you know, an introduction to VR, and it's it's very easy on the eyes. It's not really heavy motion sickness, anything like that. And it's CCP taking advantage of a fairly stark market for, for VR games. I think it's a good move on their part. And, you know, whatever generates revenue and, and gives a broader uh, availability of the game to other people is is always a good thing. So I think that's awesome. And hopefully we will see, you know, more of that in the future, especially with the Unreal 4 being kind of a, a go-to platform for a lot of developers now, not just for VR games, that, you know, you have that scalability and you can kind of move it around and, and tweak it to, to work on other kinds of platforms. And, and- Gear VR, in fact, uh, advertises itself as using Oculus technology. So um, some of the yeah. VR specific stuff is is very similar. Um, I'm just I'm really curious who's going to get the HD DVD treatment at the end of the day. Um, uh, with Vive coming out, being that they have, I mean, they have Steam backing, which is is huge, and the number of games that can potentially be put in there is pretty big. But I think um, so far, Oculus has been the, the big player. Um, so it's gonna be it's gonna be really really interesting to see uh, who wins and where the standard comes from because at some point there has to just be a VR standard. Yeah, I think Oculus really had a lot of strength because they came out of the gate first, but uh, you know with the the Vive or the Vive or whatever it's pronounced is you know they they seem to be pretty strong and people are actually latching onto that particularly because like you said Steam support is huge. I mean Steam is pretty much the go to for most PC games and if that's you know that's their preferred you know platform for VR people will go, will you know gravitate towards that because they know it's going to work with the games that they're buying on Steam. So, you know, we'll we'll see, you know, it it's it is like you said the HD DVD treatment on, you know, who's going to kind of win this awkward phase of, you know, we're dancing around to see who gets to be the top dog. And especially at this cost, I will wait to see who who wins before I buy it. Oh in. god, yes. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine the people that bought the HD DVD player and then went, "Oh shit." And then <laughs> they not were even, I mean, when you think about the pricing we're talking about too, it's yeah. So another topic that we were kind of talking about, and this kind of goes along with the line of uh, kind of that expandability of like uh, the Unreal 4 engine, how it works on multiple platforms. Uh, I know Jason kind of wanted to talk about, uh, you know, how games have been evolving on, on multiple platforms like uh, tablet and console and PC and whatnot. So I'll, I'll hand that over to him to, to kind of head up. Sure. Thanks, Pokey. Um, so one of the things that I've been thinking about over the last few weeks, while I, you know, I, my my day job requires a, a pretty fair amount of travel, uh, you know, around the continental United States and, and frankly internationally. So I've been, you know, I don't get a chance to play a lot of console games when I'm tra- obviously I play very like none when I'm traveling, uh, and not so much really with uh, PC games either because. I'm not carting around like my my computer. I've got uh, work machines and things like that that I bring with me. But what I always have with me, you know, generally is a phone and a tablet. Uh, so I got to kind of thinking through this a little bit uh, over the last, you know, like I said, last couple of weeks. 
And what I started to notice is that uh, on, I've got an iPad Pro. I'm, I'm like one of those continual early adopter guys. And um, there are like a lot of the games that I play on the iPad are th the same or better than I used to play on like a quote unquote high end machine, you know, 10 years, you know, like not even 10, year, 10 years ago, uh, like a PC machine or even a, a console version. Uh, so, for example, I've I've got Civilization, uh, like Civ Two, on my on the on the iPad, which is a really fun game to play, kind of anywhere. Um, Star Wars: uh, Knights of the Old Republic, uh, I, I play that on, on the iPad Pro, and it is you know, obviously with the differences in controls, like the actual mechanical controls of it, but the gameplay is as good as I experienced uh, playing it on a PC when it first came out years ago. Uh, and there are a lot of old, like kind of old school, particularly RPG games and things like that that are not like super, super high end graphics heavy, uh, but they're more uh, a little bit easier to manage. Th those things are all getting sucked down to tablet level. And, and some of the things that are uh, that start off at the tablet level, they're designed for uh, for either Android or Apple operating systems. Uh, those games are they look phenomenal and they play phenomenally, like as good as like some some PS3 games or, or certainly as PS2 games that I've played. So it kind of made me wonder, you know, it, what it's, you know, from either a development or a player side, you know, wh what are the what are the things that drive people to different different platforms? Um, I'm not one of those guys that have that has both an Xbox and a PlayStation 4. Like I, like I just have PlayStations because that's what I've had for a long time. I make good use of the PSN, you know, architecture that kind of stuff so it works out well for me. Uh, but I, I do know some guys that have a lot of different platforms and, and like me personally, I don't have enough time to, to play everything on all these different platforms, but I was kind of curious to hear what your guys thoughts are on the relative advantages or disadvantages of playing, uh, like cross platform, you know, either on console, PC or tablet, like, where do you guys think it fits your niche as a gamer and sort of, what do you think like the unique advantages of, uh, the different consoles are? So I just kind of wanted to open that up for general discussion. That'll kind of segue into a, a secondary topic in a little bit. But uh, what do you guys think? What's what do you think the advantages are of each one of these, and which one do you kind of prefer? Well, I think the developers have certainly seen that there are a lot of advantages to having crossplay between um, multiple platforms. I mean, like this Gunjack thing is a perfect example of. You know, if we build the game on an architecture which works on multiple platforms, you're just simply expanding the potential, uh, you know, user base of that game. And you know, like like you, I don't have one of every system. I mean, I used to pretty much be all Nintendo, and then I kind of moved into you know Sony and Nintendo, and now I've kind of moved away from Nintendo entirely, and, and pretty much only own Sony products and then a PC, of course. Um, so I don't like the idea of exclusives because. I don't want to feel punished as a user because I chose to pick one or the other because I don't have maybe the disposable income or the desire to own, you know, a lot of platforms to make sure I have access to every single potential game that could come out that I might want to play. I think that, you know, you have a much better response from players if, you know, you have games that are available on many platforms, even if they aren't necessarily cross-play between each other, just having them be available. Um Especially for people like you who may have a lot of time spent away from their console or their PC and may only be able to play on a mobile platform, having the option to experience that gameplay while on the move is, you know, obviously appealing. So I think that it's a good thing that we're moving towards 
at least from what I've seen, moving towards a, a kind of a, an industry standard where they're pushing games on all platforms rather than just one. I mean, you can look at the uh, tech specs for you know a, a PS4 and an Xbox One, and they really aren't that different. And in many ways, they're very similar to a PC. You know, as the consoles are growing closer to each other in terms of how they're actually physically built, it's kind of like why do we have exclusives other than you know basically developers trying to get extra money out of a certain platform developer? I think that they're realizing it's much better to appeal to a wide audience rather than, you know, one or the other and, and having people, you know, feel kind of pigeonholed in like they, they like, I you know, if, for example, I wanted to play Halo and had only a, a, a PlayStation, I'm kind of screwed, you know, and I think that the days of that are, are kind of quickly ending. I think that having that accessibility for everybody is certainly, you know, an appealing thing. And I think that the market is showing that that's worthwhile for developers rather than having, you know, true exclusives. And I mean, you'll still see probably, you know, advantages to one or the other, like, you know, destiny for PlayStation users, they get some content for a year that's exclusive and then the Xbox guys get it. And same thing with division, you know, you've, you've got some stuff that's only available on, on Xbox and then, you know, a week or a month later, they get it on, on PlayStation. And I think that's okay. You know, if you want to try to swing a deal with a, a platform developer to, to try to, you know, make a little extra cash and, and make that, you know, that particular group of players feel, you know, like they have an advantage for owning, owning that and being loyal to that, that platform, fine, you know, whatever, but at least make the content overall accessible to everybody, you know, for the most part. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a pretty interesting perspective on it in terms of um, kind of retaining some level of uniqueness by platform, even if you're talking about the same game. I, I've noticed a lot of games will do that, or, or even if they don't make something like a given item feature level or whatever, that's uh, they, they they may keep that unique to a platform. But there's usually a reciprocal uh, unique thing, unique item in, in the other in the other platform. So it's. Uh, I think that is kind of kind of one of the ways ways of the future in terms of uh, things like that. There, there's not a lot of not a whole lot of like true uh, exclusives anymore. I think there are some, but Halo is probably maybe the best example of a really marquee high end uh, you know high end game franchise that is truly a you know like a uniplatform type game. Yeah, and I mean, that holds true mostly for uh, markets that are, are kind of directly competing with one another. Like, I don't ever expect to see, you know, many games that are available on the Wii to be accessible on the PC. I just, that that's never going to happen because they don't really work in the same circles. But I think certainly for games that are targeting the same audience and have the same, you know, that, that kind of same feel, particularly between, like, you know, the Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and uh, mobile, may that be tablet or phone, I think that's kind of starting to mesh together. And, and there are outliers, like I said, like Nintendo. But I think that for the most part, you're going to see a lot more of that trend of, of that universal accessibility for all platforms. Yep. No, that's pretty fair. Bait, what do you think, man? Um, you know, from a convenience standpoint, I think, um, like, I, I can do a lot on my Xbox. Um, you know, and, and, but in some of those things I can, I can do for my computer, um, like, um, I can watch Netflix on the computer or listen to music on the computer, but, you know, if I'm sitting in my couch, I'm not going to be looking, you know, I don't have my couch pointed at my desktop or whatever, <laughs> um, you know, watching Netflix or whatever. So being able to do all that, you know, on the Xbox um, from the convenience of my couch is is really nice. Um, same thing with listening to um, to music, but and, and <laughs> even browsing the internet, I noticed um, 
that my Xbox has uh, Microsoft Edge on it, um, which I actually haven't tried yet, but I probably should just for shits and giggles. Um, but, you know, obviously there's stuff that um, that I do every day that I can only do on my computer, um, being at school and everything right now, uh, word processing. <laughs> um is a is one of those things so it's i guess it's more convenient for me personally to have um you know a console um but you know it just depends on you know what you do yeah no i think i I think your i think lifestyle drives a lot of the discussion about like preferred gaming platforms and stuff like that i you know i like i have a i have a ps4 like i said i i use playstation products for a long time i it's the current iteration of consoles are really, really handy as a is truly like a home home entertainment like hub. Uh, you can like rerun everything through the PlayStation, like Spotify for music in the house, uh, you know Netflix, Hulu, all all that stuff. Like we we punch a lot of that through the PlayStation, and it's got it's got some a lot of neat functionality. And I'm sure the Xbox One has you know similar, uh, or at least you know. Uh, you know, similar functionality or mm-hmm. applications you can put on it. So, you know, from that aspect, for a, from a, like a multiple user standpoint, the, I've found the console is pretty handy because my, you know, my seven year old can get on, can, he can, he, he knows how to get to his Netflix, you know, his like little, his well, well monitored Netflix queue on, uh, uh, on the PlayStation and stuff like that. He knows where, like, his music is. He know you know, like, he knows the games that he's allowed to get into, stuff like that. So, that works. My wife likes it because it gives, you know, it's a lot of TV watching options and she's got games that she plays um, that, you know, from a, a PC or desktop standpoint, I, I, I am a big utilizer of steam for a lot of things, but I like my, my game queue will always be longer than my time and my ability to get to the game. So the, you know, our desktop PC is usually some, I just, I, I can only do that like episodically. Like if there's a specific game that I want to try, like if you guys have turned me on to something very specific, I'll get on and play it, you know, that kind of thing. Or there's a game that I've been, I've got my eye on for a long time. You know, I will, I'll, I'll pull it off, off of steam or something like that. And I'll, I'll kind of binge play it for like a week or two at, at the, you know, at the expense of something else. So it's really episodic in its usage for me. I, I would, just for me, because I, I've got multiple users, console works really well. It's really convenient. And plus, frankly, I just like sitting on, sitting on my couch looking at a big screen plasma TV while I'm playing a game. That kind of works. Um, I, I will say this, though. I have become uh, very, very fond of a lot of tablet games because, you, know, you know, the iPad that I have, frankly, has more computing power than the laptop I used to have like a couple of weeks ago. I mean, these things are are surprisingly capable devices. They are they are limited, you know, because you it's running off of a different you know operating system, and and there are some general limitations, but there there are a lot of things they can do, uh, probably more so than a lot of people realize. I suspect. Um, so I tend to I actually play a whole lot of games off of uh, off my iPad Pro, and that that uh, I have found to be pretty fun because a lot of you know I actually get game time while I'm traveling or, or, you know, moving, you know, moving around different parts of the world and stuff. So it's, it's handy for me from, from that kind of aspect. Um, and I can, again, do multifunctional things with it. I actually store like a ridiculous amount of documents and books and, and reference material on my iPad. And, you know, there's a lot of things like I'm actually doing this show from, 
you know, a different continent through my iPad uh, back to you guys. So for me, it's it's just a convenience a- aspect. I, I like gaming. I want to continue to to be involved in that kind of stuff. But you know, this is really kind of the only way to do that. So that's that would be kind of my general thoughts. Zell, I'm kind of curious. I mean, you're kind of our resident like PC aficionado. I'm just kind of curious what you what you see as like you know, kind of big advantages or disadvantages from the different platforms? Well, I mean, for me, the, you know, it comes down to the fact that I can always, I, I always can do more with mine. It's it's universally configurable, upgradable, etc. Um, it's much easier to fix. Um, I've, I, I feel like in, in terms of um, the actual game consoles right now, um, I, I feel like the only real difference now is that it's, the interface is kind of, geared towards the assumption that you're playing at your TV instead of a desk. Um, you know, I, I play my PS3 with dust on a desk instead of at a TV, and it, it, it was kind of weird sometimes, because it's it's obvious it's not really meant for where I'm using it. Um, I think the Wii is probably the only, the only console that survives on the merits of actually um, a unique experience at this point. I, I don't think... Honestly, I don't see either PlayStation or Xbox bringing anything unique to the table. Yeah, it's pretty fair. Uh, I mean, even though they're not unique, would you say that they're? Is that bad that they're not unique? I, I mean, I f- for me, it just renders them as not having a purpose, um, and and that's you know the harsher har- harshest term I can use, I suppose. Uh, but since I have a PC, there's almost no reason for me to get a, a PlayStation or Xbox short of you know, an exclusivity contract, which, you know, I'll admit sometimes it works. Um, I hate when companies do that though. And I hate companies for doing it um, because there's really rarely an excuse. Um, I mean, as a PC gamer, I have, a, I have a Nintendo Wii. I have a, I have a, a 3DS. I have a Wii U. I have a normal Wii. Um, and that's because the, the scope of games that I can play on those consoles are not available to me as a PC gamer. And it's not solely because of a contract. It's because of the experience that they provide. But and so there's a strong reason for me to buy that console generation time and time again. But there's there's no no real incentive for me to buy an Xbox or a PlayStation. Well, that you know that's a pretty interesting uh, kind of perspective on it. And what I what I have noticed is that there are uh, there are is a growing market for uh, PCs that are actually that look to me to be purpose built to actually fit in the spot of your your home entertainment system where a PlayStation would go. Yeah, um, I mean, Steam Machine is, is Steam Machines have been a thing, and that's that's kind of um, Valve's big push to uh, get themselves away from Windows in case Microsoft ever locks down the third-party software installs. Um, because you know, with their their whole modern app infrastructure, they've been leaning towards you know everything comes from the Windows Store. Though um, when I think it was someone from Valve who recently kind of pitched a fit about the whole thing, um, and uh, Someone from Microsoft actually came back and said, actually, we want our universal Windows platform to support third-party stores and to kind of open this platform up more, and we'll be talking about it later this year or something like that. So they may have um, something to say, you know, going forward with uh, with that. But uh, yes, Steam machines are there. I actually have um, I have what's called an Alienware Alpha. Yeah, um, that's, that was exactly what I had. Yeah, it's like... Um, isn't it like real small? Yeah, yeah. So um, they they make a Steam Machine version of it as well. But I have uh, the Windows 10, or well, it shipped with Windows 8. But um, it's kind of the Windows form of their Windows uh, of their Steam Machine device, and it's like eight inches by eight inches. It's like two inches thick. 
Um, there's actually, um, I will I will give a s- slight shameless plug to a, a company called HideItMounts.com. Um, they make fantastic uh, mounts for sticking things on walls. They're they're absolutely fantastic. I have one for my Wii U, and I have one for uh, my Alienware Alpha. They actually make a perfect form-fitting metal case uh, mount for for the Alienware Alpha, and I have it mounted to my wall beneath behind one of my TVs. Um, and that's fantastic. Um, I love that company, HideItMounts.com. Um, but anyways, um, it was it's kind of interesting because the Alienware Alpha actually ships with an Xbox controller instead of a mouse and keyboard, um, which is a bit strange for a Windows PC. And it kind of works. There's a few UI elements that Microsoft put together that really aren't controller friendly. Um, but then uh, they use like the uh, uh, they use kind of their own proprietary flavor of Kodi. Um, which is like a you know a, a HTPC interface thing, so that you can kind of navigate their games and basic features and stuff on the on the device with an Xbox controller. Um, though I pretty much I, I created my own user account separate to that, and I've I pretty much all but disabled their their kind of TV functionality with it. And I don't use the Xbox controller with it. I ended up just using a wireless keyboard and mouse. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean it's a neat little device, and, and there's a few different companies making them. But uh, the Alienware one, it's not bad. Uh, the one I got, I think, was about uh, maybe five hundred and fifty dollars retail, and I got it for three hundred and thirty. So I got kind of a bargain on it. That's pretty cool. I will say, having um, you know, I I, I also have um, Steam, and having um, what seems to be a unlimited access to games, you know, um, is is really nice, um, especially being able to um, have a lot more storage on your computer to put said games. Um, than you do on your Xbox. Like I think I think I have like a terabyte um, on my on my Xbox, but you know you can have more than that on on a computer, just depending on how you build it or whatever. So that is actually really nice, I think. Yeah, I think you know I was uh, you know I remember one of the things that also kind of tipped me. I would not. I don't want to say away from PC gaming. It's just really not a not a primary platform for me. Is uh, I don't do enough else on a PC that really requires like, you know, a quote unquote high end, you know, gaming rig. Like it would, that to me would not be a, an efficient use of resources for me personally. Cause I, I don't like, honestly, short of like some, some movies and music that, that I might want to have on there or basic, you know, like web tooling around, you know, like Microsoft office type functionality. I don't really, you know, I'm not doing anything that requires a really uh, a significant amount of uh, computing power. So I think that was one of the other things, very similar to what you said, Zell, actually, just from a slightly thing different... thing about view. efficiency and being a PC gamer. It's entirely about ego. That's probably fair, too. <laughs> I mean, just just to be clear, is um, I used to buy... Uh, my, I had a graphics card that was a 560 Ti, and, uh, you know, the first number of that's kind of the generation, and then the second number kind of denotes the tier so it's it's like a a 60 a 60 level card and um uh when when i was looking at getting a new card um i was looking at a 660 ti which would be the the next generation of basically the same card and a friend of mine who works at um, a grocery store uh got a 670 and i didn't really need a 670 but the truth of the matter was was i i have a career job i get paid pretty well and i wasn't going to let a guy who works at a grocery store um have a better graphics card than me so i i bought the better graphics card and then i bought another one even better than that 
so that I'm now even, you know, I, I have superior graphics capability to him. I don't think I ever really need that extra power. I don't think I use it, but I had to have it. Okay. Well, no, I mean, I think there is a little bit to that. Now, you know, I did want to kind of throw out something that's kind of in a similar vein. Uh, do you guys think that like sort of the gaming models and the different platforms have kind of changed or homogenized uh, the other platforms? The example that I use out of this that, uh, for example, in mobile games, kind of the, uh, you know, the freemium model is, I'm not sure really, uh, you know, not necessarily where it started, but I think in the tablet games, it's really hit its, uh, you know, that kind of the plateau of purity in terms of what a freemium game is or how you can use microtransactions, uh, unlike that I've seen in generally in console games or PC games for the most part. But here in console game, like we've talked about it on the show before, we see that uh, kind of a la carte gaming or a la carte features uh, are becoming more and more of a thing in gaming generally. Do you see that as just broad market uh, market changes, or do you think those type of changes are driven more from one style of platform to another? I think that, like you said, the, the that happening on the mobile market has certainly been proven as a viable means to produce a lot of income because getting someone to download a free game is very easy and once they're investigating them to spend a little bit of money every couple of days is also fairly easy. It's it's much easier than trying to get them to, to swallow a $60 game up front that they've never played before and I think that because of that success on the market on the mobile front it certainly popped up on the console and, and, and on the PC to some extent. I mean, you've you've got very successful games like you know World of Tanks, for example, which basically run off of that model. It's a free game. You can do very well without paying anything, but it's obviously very profitable because they can you know heavily support it because of that microtransaction model. And I think that success in one market will certainly bleed to the other if it you know if it if it translates properly. And I think that initially you had some issues with kind of that translation, but I think it's gotten a lot better. And I think that it, it is directly caused by the mobile market with the freemium games on the console. Yeah. No, well, at least that, that was my kind of assessment. What do you guys think, Jake? Uh, Bate, what do you think? I really don't have any opinion on it. <laughs> okay. All right. No, that's fair. Yeah, I, I guess I am, you know, like Pokey said, more likely to buy a, or not buy, but to download a free to play game. Um, you know, I was looking through the, um, the Xbox free store. Um, and you know, there's a lot of, you know, really interesting games on there that are, that are free. And, you know, like, like you said, do thrive off of that, um, idea of microtransactions of, of being able to purchase something within the game, within a free game. But it's just, I, I, I don't know. Okay. Well, and it's like you said in the show last week, Jay, that um, it's very easy to make a game look pretty and fun, but it's very difficult to tell if it's going to be a good game based off of that until you actually get your hands on it and try it out. And I think that for a while, people just kind of accepted it, but they're starting to question that now and go, I, I'd rather try it first before I actually you know, drop a bunch of money on it. And I think that the free-to-play model you know, really, really benefits that mindset because it gives people that chance to kind of get a full experience and not just a demo. They aren't just getting, you know, a polished, you know, I, I just five want a, section. I just want at least a demo. I mean, I I missed out on, um, uh, like, Rainbow Six Siege I never bought because I didn't get to try it during the beta period. And then I was like, I don't know if I want to put up $60 for a game that I may not even enjoy playing, 
you know, I, I don't want to put up that money up front anymore. I want to at least try the game. I really go after beta access for that reason. Well, and even that's not enough because I mean, I was in the Destiny beta, played the game. I was like, wow, this is really cool. You know, I I think this is going to be a great game. And then I realized after I bought the game that I, the beta was basically a quarter of the game because you do the entire first planet, you know, in the beta. So even then it was misleading because the amount of content was unknown until I had already forked out, you know, 60, 80 bucks for it because I bought the season pass, you know. Okay so even the beta is not I'm enough. okay with that. I'm, I'm really not, though, is the thing. And I think that you're, <laughs> you're, you're seeing game companies experiment with it. Um, the free-to-play model, like Jay said, is, is certainly viable. I'm starting to see it more um, with the episodic model, kind of the Telltale game style, where you are buying a portion of the game up front, but it's it's small. I mean, it's presented as it's going to be a small part of the game, but you're only paying, you know, 10 bucks for it. And people will go, okay, risk assessment. They go, all right, 10 bucks. You know, if it, if it sucks, I've only spent 10 bucks. I don't, think I've ever, the world. I don't think I've ever bought into one of those because I always think the opposite. I'm like, why would I, that's like 10 bucks for what I already know is a small part. That seems like a bad deal to me. Well, it depends on how big the part is. I mean, it, content per dollar is always a big yeah. deal for me. And I mean, uh, you know, I haven't done a ton of those because there's not a lot of them out there. I mean, the Telltale games are a very good example of, you know, a fairly successful episodic style of uh, of game that obviously people buy because they're invested in the story and it's worthwhile for them to spend, you know, to give it a shot. And then they get, you know, more involved and they go, okay, yeah, I'll keep, I'll keep paying for it. And the thing is, is that you'll see companies usually will get more money out of a player because they're doing it that way because, you know, it may be 10 bucks, but there may be eight parts. Well, the person gets the whole game, they've now spent 80 bucks. And, you know, for some people and what they want out of their, their game buying experience, that may be better, you know, uh, rather than, you know, paying it all up front. Because if you get halfway through the game and you lose interest, you only spent 30 bucks now. You saved yourself half of the normal game price, you know. Yeah, that's pretty fair. I mean, I think a lot of it also drives you to what kind of game you, like, you know, you know the cliche of what kind of gamer are you? Like, what type of games do you, are you attracted to? Um like, for example, like, I really, really enjoy, you know, deep, big-hour RPG-type games. You know, Skyrim's a great example, you know, like, you know, Elder Scrolls, that kind of stuff. I, I always have enjoyed those things. Uh, Mass Effect, you know, just really big, far-reaching, big story games. I, I really like those. The problem is I really don't have the time to play a lot of those games and, and I always and I feel I will feel unfulfilled or that I did not get my money's worth uh, when I buy them, even though I would I probably really want to and I really enjoy getting them. So a lot of the games that I actually buy are a little bit more like what Pokies described. I'm a big fan of Telltale games. I mean, their 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 model is definitely getting kind of kind of dated right now. It's starting to feel its age in terms of kind of the you know uh, like the architecture inside the games, but the the design of it still actually works for me pretty well in that it is episodic and I don't feel that, um, you know, it's like a good series of books, basically, you know, no, you know, I'm not trying to make that, that, you know, direct connection, but you know, Hey, that's a, that is a good, you know, a good novella or a sub chapter of, of a book. And then and if it's good enough, yeah, I'm going to continue to read and that, you know, what that author is putting out. So I think there's something to that or games that are, are broken up internal to the game, you know, either in you know chapters, levels, or whatever that are are manageable with different chunks of time. And, and so, and I I would offer that some you know some games kind of you know some type of platforms you can do it across all of them. 
But mobile games tend to work like by their nature. They're designed to be picked up and put down a lot. That works for me. Uh, <clears throat> PC games and stuff like that are, and, and console games to a degree, but they kind of lend themselves to much longer play sessions, I think. So it just, I think it's literally just a different style of what you're looking for in terms of your value for your dollar. And I, I like how Pokey describes that. It's, it's what your perception of content per dollar is, I think, matters. Yeah, and you're seeing major uh, developers kind of experimenting with those different models. And I think that, you know, all of them will exist in some part. I just think that, I, I think the days of the $60 game are ending. I think that they're really desperately trying to move away from that, particularly because the price of producing a video game is going up and they are afraid of increasing that base value because of the mental um, connection gamers have. I mean, games have been $60 for a very long time. And I'm I sure Nintendo, you know, goes a little bit lower, but most like, you know, console games have been $60 for years. It really started with this, this console generation, which was what, eight, nine years ago now. That was, that was, it was, uh, it was actually, it was PlayStation uh, three that you can blame for the price hike. Um, and everyone else kind of fell in line behind it because, PlayStation 3 originally was pushing uh, Blu-ray discs at a time when Blu-ray discs cost $10 to make um, because it was the latest thing out there. And then a lot of one of those things that comes into um, those sorts of little agreements that get negotiated between uh, publishers is that uh, Sony didn't want the uh, their games to all be more expensive than everyone else's. So I'm pretty sure they kind of they kind of nudged up the the prices universally to say hey you can't you can't sell the game cheaper than you sell it through us um i think that was honestly i think that was a big part of it and because they were the first ones to do hey we're doing 60 dollars games now um because i i have such fond memories of the 50 dollars game era and ps3 is to, to blame for most of it <laughs> that's, that's probably pretty pretty true though as, as, I, as i kind of look through the memory warehouse on that one um you know just another aspect i did want to uh kind of bring into this discussion. It's a, it's a bit of a segue, but um, prior to the show, I, I had tweeted out to uh, Mitch Gittleman over at uh, Hairbrain Schemes. He's, it's uh, you know, probably one of my favorite, you know, small, small development studios, uh, game development studios up in Seattle. They're just absolutely awesome guys up there. They are? I didn't know you were a big fan of them. They, yeah, I know. They're, they're good dudes. I, I, I generally try to give them a little bit of free, uh, free press here and there, but they, they are actually just really good dudes. And we had a good discussion about, I asked him like, Hey, what, what are kind of some of the things you like about producing tabletop versus digital? Cause he does both. Um, you know, a lot of the class, a lot of classic tabletops from, uh, you know, like the late eighties and nineties, uh, like he and Jordan Wiseman produced together or, or he you know, had a hand in and he had kind of an interesting, interesting perspective on it. Uh, because most of us, uh, Bate, you're probably, I think you're, you're clearly the youngest one in the room, so you may not have had kind of the same level of experience, but I would say probably for me, Pokey, and, uh, you know, and Zell, we've, we probably had a, a deeper tabletop gaming, uh, you know, background growing up in terms of kind of your classic RPG or like kind of the big, you know, big story gaming kind of stuff. And, you know, Mitch had, had some interesting perspective on that in that, he said, actually, the development of either one is not that big of a deal for him. It was really more about what he enjoyed playing more. And it was more, he enjoyed the uh, the tabletop aspect because of the inherently social nature of it that you couldn't get from even digital games where you, you know, you're playing online with people because you're, 
around tabletop, you're literally, it's got like guys around their kitchen table, you know, for three or four hours, you know, guys and gals rather staring at each other and actually interacting in a, in a very visceral way. And so from a, from a gamer standpoint, he's always preferred the tabletop game because of that social experience. He said from a, from a business aspect, it, you know, tabletop games are, are actually probably have a better profit margin if you have a good tabletop game. Uh, even though I would, I would offer probably now in today's world, that's a much, a much lower band of, uh, of people that play those like on, on a very consistent, dedicated basis. Most people that play tabletop games, like real hard, you know, heavy hitting tabletop games are probably, uh, you know, probably guys more like, you know, mid, you know, mid to late twenties and above that kind of had more experience growing up with it. So yeah, like I said, very interesting aspect. He also noted that from a design standpoint, tabletop gaming, the original tabletop gaming stuff, like, you know, D and D the old, you know, like, uh, like any of the D 20 games and stuff that were back in the day, all the old world of darkness stuff, all the old, uh, you know, the old FASA kind of materials, you know, like Battletech, Shadowrun, all that kind of stuff. That's really where a lot of the, pretty much all of the game design elements that we see in any RPG-esque game today really came from. Concept of leveling, concept of uh, flexible options for players, uh, all of these type of things, regardless of kind of the venue, that you know, that's where they came from. Uh, I'm just kind of, you know, again, kind of curious to kick it out to the room. What do you guys... Uh, what was your general background in terms of either tabletop versus digital? And, and were, was there anything that you kind of missed from tabletop gaming that you wish you were getting more out of digital? Well, one thing I will say, just uh, on, on a point you made that, that uh, the mechanics are, are kind of pulled from tabletop, is um, I was in a role-playing community uh, several years back, and we had kind of a, a combat tournament. And this wasn't this wasn't really a, a role-playing game that relied he- heavily on numbers. It usually was more... Uh, story writing, but we did, you know, for this tournament, we had to figure out who was going to win, and we did want to use some manner of math. And uh, so I took it upon myself at one point to redesign our combat system because um, the the guy who wrote the previous one didn't want to share. Um, and uh, I, I will say that what I did was I bought a uh, I bought a book. Uh, I bought an RPG, you know, uh, basic you know game manual for a game. I forget which. I, I think it was the Palladium system actually. Now that I think about it. Um, and I, I kind of pieced together a combat system roughly based on that. Um, and there wasn't a, I simplified it down quite a bit actually. And I had to kind of tweak it to work with what I had to work with, but, um, that was actually what I used for my, my little online system that I was building. Um, I never did a lot of tabletop to be honest though. Um, the, the biggest thing for me is like, I, I was at a Dungeons and Dragons game once and I really didn't get into it. I really enjoyed listening to the story that, because the GM was really good at, at telling it. Um, but the problem for me is that I, when I play a character, I really like to get into the character, and I can't do that in person. It feels weird. Okay. No, I mean, that's fair. I think uh, Zell hit the nail on the head on that one for me as well. I, I think that the... Well, at least for me, the act of creating uh, content or creating a system is something that really appeals to me. I think that would be a lot of fun. For example, like you said, building a battle system or combat system for a game, you know, would would be very enjoyable for me, almost probably more so than actually playing it. That's just my personality that I I would really enjoy that. And unfortunately you, while you do have more of a player created, player content created sort of thing going on with, you know, recent games, it doesn't quite get to that, that level of depth. And I would actually like to see more of a, a kind of game where, you know, 
you can actually kind of develop your own gameplay. Like you don't have to stick to the way that the, the, the base game has, you know, has handed it to you. You can actually get in there and, and custom design and, and, and make rules and stuff like that. And if that could somehow be translated into, you know, a, a video game format, I, I would be overjoyed because that's the sort of thing that would draw me to a tabletop game. Um, the ability to just come up with kind of an off the wall solution and your GM just be able to be like, roll this for it. Yeah, something like that, or or like you said, going from scratch and going like, hey, I want to make a turn-based shooter like that or something, and you know, like we'll use XCOM as an example, like something like that. But I want to you know tweak this and change that, and I want to edit this and and kind of modify the base game for you know my own my own purposes with the way that I would like to see it and, and make you know more than just minor number changes, not just like a custom match where you're you know dialing up and down damage values. Something where I can actually make a meaningful change to the gameplay. And have that translate into something that I can play with other people and not just, you know, in my head, that would be really, really enjoyable to me for a game. Now, I think that's, you know, now that I think through it, like uh, I was involved, like high school, college kind of, you know, which was, you know, many moons ago for me, uh, tabletop gaming was really it. And you were and in college. That's when you when I when they really first started having actual MMO things kind of coming out. Uh, you know, online, like Matt, you know, like multiplayer online type stuff. So really your RPG time, you know, when I was growing up was really about tabletop gaming. And, and I, I can remember two kind of distinct flavors of it. One was much more of the, um, you know, it, it was m- almost more of kind of, kind of like, you know, fun, bo- you know, board game style, like peers talking and having fun. There was a DM kind of, uh, controlling stuff. And, and that was a lot of fun. Um, then there was the other kind of more true RPG-esque style, uh, you know, kind of in character kind of, kind of gameplay, kind of two different styles. And I can definitely see, you know, where Zell's coming from in terms of what do you, you know, what you're comfortable with, that kind of thing. Uh, I would offer to you that there are quite a few people out there that on that are, that will Twitch stream, uh, like tabletop role playing, like, and it's really fun to watch. You know, like kind of like Zell said, it's a bit, it's a bit like your third party watching the story unfold in front of you in a very organic kind of improv sort of way. Uh, there's some really good ones. I'll see if I can, uh, if I can put a few together links, and I can, I'll shoot them to you. We can post them on the blog, but they're they're really good. And and these are these are guys who are like a lot of them are professional game designers who grew up you know, just like what we're describing here, but they actually make games for a living and they're running a, and they are DMing other people in the industry or, or friends of theirs. And it's, it's really fun to watch because not only are they, they really into it, but those, you'll see things like what Zelda was describing of like, well, that's interesting. I didn't see that coming. So we're going to have to take out uh, this type of dice, roll this against this type of, you know, table or, or, or mechanic, you know, that kind of thing. And they do it very organically during the game, usually. Uh, and they're all having, having a pretty good time. You know, it's, it's a very collaborative storytelling experience. So um, I, I think, I think as, as I kind of think through the, uh, like the Twitter convo that uh, Mitch and I had, that's really what I, what I came back to is that social aspect, you know, that kind of improv storytelling, that give and take storytelling uh, for tabletop gaming that's really, really difficult to replicate even in the best uh, digital platform. 
my thing with it is I just can't get into like making a character. I'm fucking lazy, so like coming having to write up a backstory for You know what my trick was? What? I had a trick for that. Um I always made my GM come up with my character for me. If if they uh, for an online game, if they wanted me to participate, they had to help me come up with a character name. At, at least a character name cuz I, oh, I can't a character name I can do. I can't like a do backstory names. and the intricate details or whatever of the the life of my character just like I can't be bothered. I really I can't would... do character names. It's it's just the thing I can't do. All the ones that I've heard are like really stupid like Take the first letter of your first name and combine it with the third and fourth letter oh, no, of your I last name. Like, like what that. the no, fuck, man? No. But, you know, um, I would much rather have something, ha- have a story. Like, we'll take um, we'll take uh, Skyrim, for example. Um, the, the story in that game, um, I would much rather have something like that where the world is already there, the story is there, all you have to do is name your dude, and... Uh, Make him however you want to look like. I can do that, you know, every day. I love stuff like that. But to act like come up with the, you know, like I said before, the backstory, whether it's just what the fuck, I can't be bothered. But, you know, um, I don't know if you would consider um, Magic the Gathering to be a, a tabletop game, but that is one that, you know, I, I do play, uh, you know, every, every week, I think, um, very, very casually. I'm not dropping, like, I know guys who are dropping. $300 on a deck or whatever, even more than that. I just, I don't have that kind of money, but it's still, you know, it's fun. I've, I've actually seen some guys play, uh, ma- you know, Magic specifically. Uh, other, there's other really good TCGs out there, but, but Magic's definitely the, uh, you know, kind of the uh, flagship one, I would say. Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen some people like it. If you go to like some conventions, like some cons and stuff, they'll have like a, like a lot of gaming, there's a lot of gaming tables and gaming tournaments and stuff like that in some of them. And I saw one, I, I gosh, I want to say it was in Austin, Texas. Uh, there was like this, it was a really cool uh, kind of gaming convention, gaming comic book convention they were having down there. And they had kind of an area where they were doing a magic tournament. And um, they, they kind of did it like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, like part, there was an, there was part of it. uh that was like Dungeons and Dragons style. Like they, they were really like actually playing a role or, you know, like playing a character <laughs> and, and, and really it was really entertaining to the crowd. I, I assumed that, that it was probably, that was part of it. They actually had, you know, I think it was like four or five and they, they played kind of in a multi-role thing where it was like more than just one-on-one, but the, the group of people doing it, I, I think it was really a uh, kind of a cool thing for the crowd more than actually part of the tournament. They they picked people that were like really good at you know like the role playing stuff or you know like the DM dialogue kind of conversation. So they had like a, a an actual DM like the judge uh, who was doing a lot of story setup and all this other kind of stuff. And then they actually kind of role played it while they were while they were uh, having the actual Magic the Gathering card card fight. You know, uh, oh, and it was really entertaining to watch. By the way, it was really good. You know, so shout out, shout out to the people that did that down in Austin. Yeah, it sounds like I, I like watching st- watching stuff like that. I can totally get into or listening, but you know, like I said, just doing it, I, I I can't get into it for you know whatever reason. Maybe it's because I didn't have that. Um, it, it wasn't a, a um, as big a, a part of my life as it was for uh, you guys being older or whatever. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting to say the least. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, so, you know, like I said, it, it was some nice thought, kind of thought-provoking stuff from from Mitch when I, when I was kind of thinking through it. Because, and I didn't want to, uh, 
not discuss a little bit of the, the tabletop aspect because we, you know, we had a really good chat about the different, uh, you know, digital forms of gaming and, and, you know, literally just as kind of a shout out to the kind of the old school method of RPGs. Uh, I, I did want to throw that in there for a little bit. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty solid. It, it's it's definitely kind of the root of where everything came from. So it's it's good to to kind of discuss, you know, what what, what elements did we lose along the way in, in the progression from tabletop to video games. So I think it's definitely a good topic. We'll probably hit that up again at some point, probably in more in depth. I think it's a really good thing to kind of dig into at a later time. Um, moving along, one more thing that I wanted to uh, bring up before we, we kind of close this one down. Has everyone here seen the new Captain America movie trailer? Yes. Um, yeah, I, I just... Yeah, I, I mean, as much as I'm looking forward to the Civil War movie, I, I, I don't like my first impression of Spider-Man. No, I don't either. Okay, why? Well, um, <laughs> I, I did his voice. It's the three, is... the three seconds he was in it. <laughs> well, yeah. his voice was really nasally. His voice... No, the other thing is that really hit me, and, and someone indicated they thought this was maybe would look a little bit better, um, you know, in other shots or in higher resolution. But mm-hmm. it looked his suit looked animated. It did look it, really it animated. It looked it looked mm-hmm. like the um it looked like maybe the red version of the suit from the uh the Ryan Reynolds superhero movie that wasn't good. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it strongly it strongly felt like the Green Lantern suit. I I just I'm sorry it it ticked me off. It looked like the um the suit from the '60s um TV series, the Spider-Man one. But yeah, like like Zell said, really really animated, and his voice was like was really nasally. I thought it wasn't like Ray it, Romano it nasally. It didn't you, fit the scene at all. No, it didn't. It wasn't Have you like ever heard that kid speak. Like, no, oh, I know I'd and, never heard and the kid. After hearing it now, I could I could live without ever hearing him speak again. But you know, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna offer this to everybody in the room, including Bait, because I know you're the I know you're the whippersnapper. What's up? At some point before your voices changed a whole lot, you probably sounded a lot. Like no, that. I know, oh, I, I know. I, I'm sure I sound that bad now. I'm just saying it's, it's a movie voice. I I don't know. Well, the kid's not like super young. I want to say he's like twenty. Not. Five. I, th- I think he's a lot younger than you that, really dude. think really yeah let me, let me look but the 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 first thing i thought of and what somebody else in the comments thought uh, as well was the kid sounds like a like he fucking makes minecraft let's plays on youtube and you know the top comment was something along the lines of hey everybody it's spider-man back uh coming back at you with another minecraft let's play it was just yeah i don't think it fit the role Okay. Well, I mean, like I said, I think he said he was born in 1996. Yeah, he's 20 fuck. years old. I mean, just just for the record, like I think he literally said like what two and a half words in the thing. Hey guys, hey I'm, guys. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve judgment on this until like we see something more. But I I I, I just I feel like for the for for my first impression of the character, which you have to admit, first impressions big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I was unimpressed. Okay. Kids as old as I am. What the fuck? <laughs> no, how how old do you think Spider Man is in the comics, dude? Like I acknowledge that there's fifty. Well, like, now what, he's maybe... like fifty, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he's like retirement age now. The, the classic, the classic Spider Man was is is you know legitimately you know high, like... it's a high school age guy. <laughs> you know? yeah, was high true. school age at one time. <laughs> 
Well, that was always a little bit of my beef for Tobey Maguire. You know, and, and like I actually thought he did very well in the first Tobey Maguire uh, edition of Spider-Man. For uh, sure, the first but, the first Spider-Man was good. Second Spider-Man yeah, was pretty good. The was, third yeah, one, the third they trashed it. But it, it just, I think they they couldn't quite bridge the gap. You know, he was still the only problem I had with the first one, honestly, was he was still a little bit too old to try to for the origin story they were trying to go for. He did a good job in like in this first couple, though, like no doubt. But so I, I'm. I am I am interested to see how this one how this one kind of works out, uh, you know, in all in all honesty. So we'll you know we'll see. And apparently he's uh, I think they're going with the kind of the Stephen Amell route, like actually picking somebody who can kind of physically do some of the role. Apparently this kid is was a, a pretty talented actual gymnast or parkour kid or something like that, from what I understand. And that was actually one of the reasons that they that uh, th- that helped him get the role is that he could actually physically play a lot of the Spider-Man stuff that you'd want to see him do in the movie. Huh. No, I'm not too familiar with the source material, but in the Civil War story, was Spider-Man part of it? Because I yeah, don't think yeah. he was. He was, okay. actually, he was actually a pretty big part of it. Um, he was like the, the he, he was one of, it was one of the big scenes of the, uh, of the Civil War comic series where he actually unmasked himself publicly. Like he can't, you know, there was a lot of back and forth on who, where he would side between Captain America or Iron Man, but he did. He switched, he did he switched sides at one point. As yeah, well. he, he did. He did. Uh, but that was actually a, a fairly significant, uh, significant things he unmasked publicly for that. Okay, well that's that's pretty cool. I I wasn't aware that he was part of it because I, I again I don't know the source material, so I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh wow, I didn't know they were bringing him in for that. So that was that was oh, pretty cool I, for this me. Was, I, I I thought it was really funny personally when there was all the uh, everyone was so really surprised and stuff about it just because, uh, like this was actually announced kind of like back during the uh like the whole right in the aftermath of the Sony Pictures hack actually. Um, there was this whole whole thing where um, they they kind of signed an agreement, and Marvel's you know Sony gets to keep their license, but Marvel's going to have some creative direction over the next Spider-Man movies, and that he would be that he would also appear in Civil War, and and, and that was all stuff that I think I knew like at least a year ago. So I thought it was really funny when the, like this week, like everyone's like, oh my gosh, he's in it. I'm like, um, yeah. Well, they they have now. You're right, Jill. That this actually came out like like a while ago, but they did a really good job of keeping a lot of this under wraps in terms of you, you know they they've held on they've held the held their cards pretty close to the vest on this. And just as an interesting kind of side note about a lot of these kind of you know nerdgasm movies like this, um, this is this is being pointed to as uh, kind of maybe the template you will see. Companies that own different IPs getting together to produce, uh, you know, a, a movie per se or, or something. You know, movie is a good example. Produce a movie that they normally couldn't have done, but that but would actually end up netting them more, uh, you know, like more profit than they could have done with. You I don't know, think the, you'll see Fox do this, though. Say again? I don't think you'll see Fox do this. with. I their, do. I, I don't. X-Men makes too much money on its own. No, 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 no. Well, I, I, but I think what you're going to see, though, is uh, at some point they're going to figure out that they can cross over certain ones of these characters. They just made six hundred million dollars on Deadpool. They don't need. Actually, they don't need Marvel up, money. It's up to seven as of this afternoon. Okay. okay. Yes. See, they don't need Marvel money. They're good. Um, no, no, that's true. But if you think about, it, but what, what, 
you know, there there would be uh, I think if they had a, a a venue to do like a one-off movie where there was a bit of a crossover uh, that they might be able to separate from like the, I mean you know, I could see some kind of the re- storylines they could do it I could see some really light arrangements like um, I mean what was actually originally going to happen in um, Avengers and this was I, I guess this was literally a timing issue as far as getting all the rendering done but they actually had an agreement to place um, the Oscorp building in the skyline on the Avengers, and they were going to use the the version of the building from the Amazing Spider-Man movie. But the way it, it the art wasn't ready, so they didn't do it. Um, but that was like a thing that was going to be like no nothing really done money wise. It was just like, hey, we can do this. Why not? Um, but I mean, for Sony, this was this was almost like an accepting defeat thing. It's kind of like they they didn't this is something they felt they had to do because sony pictures is in deep crud well if you if you think about it not i just you know from a from a business aspect if you can figure out a way to produce profit from an ip that you know is valuable without you incurring a lot of the risk or or if you know that you can do it better through a third party this is probably not a bad way to go, uh, and and that was kind of really the crux of the decision, if I remember right. When all, you, like you said, this all came out during kind of the big hackathon that they had on Sony. But that, if I remember right, was one of the big uh, sort of fulcrums that, that helped them with the decision: is hey, we 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 have a very valuable IP. We we've had a spotty, a valuable IP for- that they tanked really badly. Right. They yeah. could, they so, proved they couldn't do it, and the only way they were going to be able to do this was... Well, I mean, they proved they, they could do it for two movies, but they, they crushed the third one. Well, they they were on they were on three bad movies and counting, and they were planning on, and I don't know if this is still even on the table, but they were talking about like doing like this whole Sinister Six setup thing, and... Yeah, I don't so, think that's... So, <laughs> did I read something last week about them doing like a Venom movie series? There, um, there, oh, there's been... Well, no, there's actually been talk. I, I thought it was maybe a Netflix-esque type thing, but, they, I, but they're yeah, talking about know. going down the, the road of kind of the R-rated, uh, an R-rated movie, which would be, you know, Venom would be a good candidate for that. Oh, cool, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. Um, but, I mean, uh, you, you would have to, I mean, let me put it this way. It, a, lot of these, a lot of these, like, comic book properties particularly have the potential to be a good, a good or profitable movie. Or, or even Netflix series, or something like that. The problem is they're often not done very well. That's that's really the issue. And I, I do think that there's going to be a little bit of a rush for, uh, you know, some of the copycat kind of uh, R-rated comic book properties based on the success of Deadpool. Uh, and, and and the pro- the issue the issue that the, the best way I've heard this described is uh, was actually by uh, got it's he was one of the producers of Deadpool, he was like giving an interview and he's like, look, you shouldn't set out to make an R rated comic book movie. You should make the best comic book movie you can. And whatever the rating is, that's the rating. Yeah. And, like, and the, the, to me, the best R rated movies I've seen, I'm not a big fan of R rated movies as a general concept. I just don't enjoy them most of the time. Um, but have been ones that just, that's where they hit for telling their story. They focus on the story. If you have, what you see from movies that try to be an R rated movie is you see a lot of just, gratuitous nudity and and violence blood spatter because we can not because it adds to the adds to the quality of the movie or the style it's just there because hey it's an r-rated movie so let's do it um and that's that's i think the distinction is there's there's definitely movies that are 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 because that's where the story put them and movies that are are because that's what they felt like throwing in there 
No, I, I think that's that's a really good observation. I mean, you, I, you know, I do not believe that you that you could have produced a Deadpool movie that would have been as successful as the one they have now if it if they had tried to PG thirteen it. I just it just doesn't work for this for that material. Right. Um. So uh, the other thing, though, possibly in terms of uh, cross character um uh movies is actually uh kind of something days of future past played with is getting two disparate crews together via a time jump storyline thing um but i don't know if you heard but uh they uh cbs announced this week that uh flash from the cw series will in fact be on supergirl uh at the end of this month yeah I saw that. um but because like in supergirl's universe Kind of Superman is kind of the first superhero to can show up, and in the Arrowverse, it's it's very clearly that Green Arrow is like the first one. Um, they're actually they're doing an alternate universe thing. They're gonna, they're going to jump him over and then jump him back. Um, that is that is kind of one of the cool things about the Flash. Like a, a lot of the fabric of the Flash stories are literally about just that, like the ability to move between different times, dimensions. You know, all, you know all these different things. That, that that's a in fact, you know, I tell you what, I I caught the uh, the Fat Man on Batman podcast. That's Kevin Smith's podcast, uh, and he was he was asked about this very specifically because I think he's part of the uh, kind of the DC creative team that kind of keeps the uh, the movie and TV DC stuff. Like he's kind of part, you know, sort of the the QAQC from a from a, a story like a canon standpoint for the movie and TV realm for DC. Kevin Smith. You're yeah, the comic books guy. Yeah, with the big orange thing. Yeah, what the fuck? Really? You know that 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 dude huh. actually wrote some of the, the like the best comic book stories like like in ever. He, he was a, he's a phenomenal comic. I comic thought it was just some dude that was it like who even has a show like TNT or something hired. Uh... No. Whoa, dude. Google Kevin Kevin Smith. Dude. Okay, be all good. But, uh, but there's, but he, he had mentioned that that was, um, when there was some discussion about like the popularity of Ezra Miller, the guy, the guy that I think it's Ezra Miller, right? The guy that plays the flash on TV, like why they had, why they didn't just hire him to be the flash in the DC movies because everybody like, they like his character a lot and how he does it. He's a, he's a good actor. Um, and he's like, well, you know, technically we, we might actually be able to bring those two together. Uh, because of the way the Flash stories work. And, and, you know, that was just kind of an interesting factoid there. Let's see. You guys got anything else on uh, any of the, the nerd movies coming out lately? Yeah, I haven't been tracking as much as I should have been, but uh, it, it looks like there's quite a few coming out. It's just, you know, they're, they're spread out pretty well from the looks of it. It looks like Marvel's mm-hmm. got a pretty uh, pretty solid roadmap that they're working on. So, you know, it, it'll be good to see them coming out. Uh, one by one here, but I think that the only one that really matters is when is Deadpool two coming out because that's <laughs> all we really have to care about is, is yeah. more of that. Glad to see you finally coming around to my way of thinking. I, you, you know, that, that it was it was actually a religious experience for me to to see the the movie. It was just like, well, okay, wow, this is yeah, you can't top this. Doesn't matter what you do, this is this is it. GG guys. <laughs> but yeah, uh, any other closing remarks, guys, before we move on to shoutouts? No, nah, I'm, I'm thinking about closed up on that one, man. Pokemon Go field test started in Japan, so game is oh. now in closed beta. Oh, that's I, I remember seeing that originally and didn't really know how it was going to work because the it's, trailer was not really gameplay. It was more of a hype video. It's so. augmented reality 
from what I understand. Is it, is it actually that, or is it just being played off as that? Because that's kind of the feel I got that it was implying that it was, but I really not, not showing. It, it, from what I from what I understand, and what I've heard people who are like really into it explain it to me is that you know you download the app and you fucking walk around your city or whatever, and then you'll get like a notification saying that there, there's this Pokemon close by or whatever, and you can capture it. Um, and like battle, I guess, other people uh, within your city um, with, with your Pokemon, just you know, like your standard, uh, standard, typical Pokemon game. So I, I, I don't know. I'm reading this article. I'm kind of curious if what they'll use for the platform for the augmented reality, if that is indeed what they're going for. Like it's the phone iOS, or iOS and Android compatible. It must just be using the camera, and then it's overlaying I, on the screen. I, yeah, I think so. Well, that's that's pretty cool. I, I'll mm-hmm. the keep an eye. I'm not haven't been really much of a Pokemon fan for a long time, but uh, stuff like that is always interesting, at least in terms of the the tech front. So I'll I'll keep an eye on that one. That looks pretty cool. Yeah, it's Japan exclusive, but um, forever or just right now? Uh, right, just right now. Um, apparently, it's it hasn't quite started yet. It's going to start later in the month. Um, according to some sign-up information on the website, but it will um, it it will come to other uh, continents or countries um, soon. Very cool. All right. Anything else, guys? All right. Let's uh, move into shout-outs and bring this one in for a close. We'll start at the top of the list, and Zell will probably have nothing for us. This has actually been a pretty <laughs> meaty show. We're at ninety minutes already. Yeah, I was I'm impressed. Yeah. Okay. Um, I actually, I, I want to give a shout out to something that I, I was trying earlier in the show um, when I was occasionally not paying attention as usual. Um, I already canceled my Eve subscription, actually, but um, uh, I got the, the usual spam mail from, from uh, CCP about their new features. And um, I did try out Project Discovery, actually, just, just like in the last hour, um, which is kind of where you, you click their classifying pictures of cells over and over for credit. And um, it's it's kind of interesting actually. Um, if you have Eve already, try it. Don't don't buy Eve for it. Seriously, just don't. But um, since I already accidentally I had a twelve month subscription, I was billing on the twelve month plan, and and so I'm stuck with it till November apparently. Um, so yeah, I try I tried the little thing. I was classifying stuff, and I have a terrible accuracy rating. But it, it it's actually it's kind of neat, and I guess it 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 does help some scientists somewhere. It's kind of like a mechanical Turk type thing where they're um abusing humans to do menial tasks for chump change in this case like tiny amounts of isk that's still pretty cool though it reminds me of uh that old program with like the you can basically rent out your processor at night for uh study at would, home or folding at home those yes things. Yeah. where you could your computer could help search for aliens and stuff it was actually data that was you know being used and, and you thought i had nothing Oh, no, you know what, Zell? Out of 96 episodes, you finally got one. I'm, I'm impressed. So, so good job, buddy. <laughs> All right. Um, Iowa Bait? Um, yeah. Uh, shout out to Kevin Smith, I guess. I did not know that he was the uh, executive producer of Goodwill Hunting. And, um, you did Jay- not know that? No, I didn't. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, the, um, and also the executive producer for the producer, at least. For um, a couple of the Jay and Silent Bob uh, movies, so th- that's pretty that cool. He is Silent Bob, right? Oh, he is. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> I need All to right, start paying hey, more attention. I'm gonna. Ask you, I'm gonna <laughs> I normally don't interrupt people on shout That's that's not a thing. I'm gonna ask you. I just want you to be totally honest with me. I'm not gonna judge you. Uh, 
Have you seen the movie Clerks? I have not seen Clerks, no. It's right. on my list of shit to eventually watch. But You're going to hit the fucking off button on, okay. on the Bumble machine. <laughs> and then you're going to go down to a, like, you can't even get it on a red box. You can go to Netflix. I'm probably just you're going to go YouTube. somewhere. You're going to go to an adult and ask them for a copy of Clerks. <laughs> okay? And then you're going to okay. watch it before you're allowed to get back on this show. Bate, okay. Bate needs an adult to get, to get a copy of that movie. <laughs> Nah. Jay will be ministering oh a quiz God. before to get the password next yeah, week. No joke. Fuck, man. Um, My God. Okay. I'll add that to my list right now. Watch a fucking movie from 1994. Um, I'd like to give a shout it's out before to... before you were uh, born, right? Yeah. I'd like to give a shout out to Jay Gamester. Been playing Dust with him. Uh, really fun dude. Um, He's got that, uh, that tournament that we talked about last week. Um... I think he's saying that the final um, registrations are going to be like the 19th of the month, and then we need to start talking to um, Archduke about uh, maybe setting aside um, the special contracts uh, for us. So if you want to get on that, go find the forum post. It's sticky, I believe, in general discussions. Um, so go look for that. Awesome. All right, Jake. Uh, yeah, cool. Um, I'd like to give a quick shout out to Steve Lumpkin. Uh, you guys don't know him, but he's he's a big big property on Twitter. He's a longtime game designer guy. I've, I've followed his work in a couple different places. He's a really good dude, and he is one of the uh, the Twitch streamers that I occasionally watch. That uh, uh, you know live streams a lot of his tabletop gaming and things like that. So uh, you know, Steve's a, he, he is a quality guy, and he's he's very active on Twitter. He's it's a fun he's a fun guy to follow. So. Highly recommend that. Uh, like, I'll shoot out a link with the uh, uh, his his like Twitter handle for you guys to follow. I would recommend it. He's fun to he's fun to get a hold of. Um, and other than that, I would like to again give my massive shout outs to uh, to Virgin Air and to British Airways, the two finest international air- airlines that a man can get on. I I highly recommend it if you've got to spend like more than ten hours in the plane in any direction you're flying. And you can fly either Virgin or you can fly British Air. I, I do recommend it. Uh, I say this only out, out of like pure, like you know, just the, the ability to, to to like not not experience pain in a trip that that you can in another other uh, airline. So I'll leave it at that. But so the uh, the Steve Lumpkin, in which I will give his Twitter handle out at some point as I can find it, and uh, and British and Virgin Air. So I guess that'd be my shout outs for the week, brother. Awesome. Uh, I will give my shout out to the developers of the division. I approached the game with very, very cautious expectations and have been impressed thus far. So, I think they did a pretty good job so far from what I've seen, and I uh, I hope my opinion stands uh, moving forward with the game. I think it's a very solid, very polished game. There's a few little things that need tweaking, but I don't expect the game to be perfect day one. It's only been out for you know less than a week, so. That being said, shout out, guys. Good job. Uh, looking forward to more. Um, with that said, I think we're probably going to call this one into a close. So I just want to thank everyone for showing up. Jay, it was great to, to have you again and then have you on the uh, for talking from across the world. It's always good to have you on the show. So thanks for making it. Um, and everyone else, of course. So uh, with that said, Biomass Crew is signing off. Have a good night.